Hello and welcome to the Occultish Podcast. I'm Cheyenne Longini and this is a show where I tell you all about something from this wacky side of the internet that I'm currently interested in. It's not the end all be all of a topic. It's kind of my collected information over the course of the short time that I've been learning all of this stuff. Um, and yeah, so it's occult-ish. It's not the end-all be-all, uh, the main source of information. Um, so yeah, basically I share with you everything that I've learned about something and encourage you to contribute to the conversation as well. You can hit me up on Twitter and eventually I will have all these up on YouTube um, so that there's actually like a, a comment section that you can go to as well. Um, and yeah, so we can learn together. Whether you're new to a topic or not, my goal is to expand both of our knowledge. This week we're prepping for Eclipse season and talking all about eclipses. But in order to have that discussion, we first need to have an understanding of the lunar nodes and what they are in astrology. So the lunar nodes are not something that you'll actually be able to physically point to in the sky or in space. They are mathematical points. It's where the apparent orbit of the sun around the earth, we know that the sun doesn't actually revolve around the earth, but from our perspective, that apparent path that it has in the sky is called the ecliptic. And it's where all the planets kind of um, travel through the zodiac. So it's when the ecliptic crosses over the moon's orbit. This happens um, in two areas on both sides of the Earth. And the moon's orbit is tilted a little bit. If you want just a quick visual, hold your arm out, bend your arm at the elbow, and then have your forearm be diagonal. And it's like not, it, it, it has a tilt to it, about a five degree offset from the ecliptic. So for one half of the journey, it's going to dip below that ecliptic on one side, and then on the other side, it's going to rise above the ecliptic. And where these two paths meet on either side of the Earth are where the nodes are located. When the moon begins to ascend up that tilt, this intersection is where the north node is, or the ascending node, because it aligns with the north pole. When the moon begins to descend back, to back down, um, or the descending node, the south node, um, is that's where that's located and uh it's by the south pole as well so a full moon occurs when the moon and the sun are opposite and then a new moon occurs when they are together conjoined in the sky when either of these happens near one of these calculated points on either side of the earth this is when an eclipse happens so a lunar eclipse is a full moon that occurs when the sun is on one side of the earth near one of these poles and the moon is on the other side by the opposite pole in this instance, the Earth is in between the sun and the moon, so um, it's cutting off the light of the sun that's coming off the sun where the moon is reflecting it, it's cutting off that light. And then a solar eclipse is a new moon that occurs when the sun and the moon both meet up on either side, so they'll be next to either the north node or the south node on the other side. Um, and this time, the moon is between the sun and the earth, so the moon is cutting off the sun's rays from reaching earth. Now, there are different classifications of eclipses in astronomy, like a partial eclipse, um, where it's only partially obscured. But in terms of astrology and like the signification in astrology, any new or full moon that occurs within 18 degrees of the nodes is significant and carries those eclipse significations. You'll probably see that 18 degrees, it might um, differ depending on the astrologer, but about 18 to 19 degrees is a pretty good rule of thumb um, for how far away they can be. Solar eclipses come in three types. And remember, solar eclipses are the new moons. Um, so there's a total uh, which is what it sounds like, a partial and an annular. Uh, total eclipses are going to be really close to the nodes, 
partial solar eclipses are going to be a little bit farther away, so closer to like 15 degrees out farther. In a partial eclipse, the moon isn't completely covering the sun, like I said before. An annular eclipse is a solar eclipse where the moon is farther than Earth, um, so the moon is covering the center of the sun, like a little black spot in the middle, um, but it's not going to completely obscure the sun like it would if it was closer. So there's like a ring of light around this dark, dark spot in the center. Lunar eclipses can be total, partial, penumbral. Um, total and partial are pretty much the same thing as before with the solar eclipses, um, but a penumbral eclipse is when the moon is only crossing the penumbra, which is the shadow of the Earth. So for this episode, I didn't have to do too much research because I actually have really old threads about like the nodes and eclipses that I wrote years ago. So this has always been something that I've kind of been interested in. So I've been collecting this knowledge for a while now. So basically, it's the easiest podcast that I've done so far, not having to do too much extra research. However, one thing that I couldn't remember off the top of my head, and I also couldn't find through a quick Google search was why the nodes move backwards to the zodiac. They're always retrograded, basically. All the articles that I read um, say just plainly the nodes are always backwards, but I have had instances where I've done like readings and stuff where I've seen people have a D next to their node, which means that it's direct. So I was like, is that true? What does this mean? So I was trying to figure out what the difference was. And there's never really an elaboration in the articles that I read. So after that, I turned to my personal library to see if I could find it in any of the books that I have. And there was no mention as to why they're always retrograde in what I would consider like the holy trinity of like my foundation of astrology, which is on the heavenly spheres, um, Demetri George's ancient astrology, um, and then Chris's book, obviously, about Hellenistic astrology. But there is a section in On the Heavenly Spheres, which led me to this rabbit hole that I went down. So there's a box of text on page 169 of On the Heavenly Spheres about the true node and the mean node. And I never knew the difference before. Um, at least I had never seen it in any of the articles or anything. So the true node is astronomically exact. It's taking into account more factors like the gravitational pull of the sun on the moon. The mean node is a calculation of the average position, and it's not taking into account those extra influences. The mean node is always retrograde, and the difference between the mean and the true nodes um, is never more than two degrees, so they're pretty even always. Um, but this is my issue, <laughs> is the true node is the default on astro.com. But why is that the case if there's no interpretive reason to use the true node? Throughout all of my years, and I guess I've been studying for a long, super long time, but I've never really seen any, any indication in traditional or even modern Western astrology that takes into account stationary nodes or direct nodes in delineations. There have been obscure articles and forum posts that I've seen in the past, like trying to look this up a couple years ago, um, but nothing really concrete that I could point to. So why use the true node as the defaults? Especially when every resource in print or online talks about the nodes always being retrograde. So why would you use the true node when with the true node, that's not true. It's not always retrograde. So if anyone has any insight to this, please let me know. Um, and all of that being said, when it comes to the reason they're always retrograde, I couldn't really find an explicitly written confirmation on this either. But here's what makes sense to me, that the nodes are always retrograde because the sun and the moon, they move forward always. The sun and the moon are never retrograde. They're always moving forward through the zodiac. So that would mean that their intersection in the sky 
between the ecliptic and the moon's orbit would always be moving backwards because the sun and the moon are always forwards, if that makes sense. Um, but if you have a better explanation or you know more than me, definitely reach out on Twitter at Clastrology with an underscore because um, I would definitely be curious to know. I did ask this on Twitter um, a while ago when I was researching for this and nobody really had an answer either. But I feel like I've heard, pe I feel like I've seen people talk about this on Twitter before. Um, so yeah, if you know anything, definitely let us know because um, I'm dying to know now. I like, like I said, I went into this weird rabbit hole trying to find an answer and I was at a loss. So since the nodes always move backwards, they enter a sign at 29 degrees and they leave a sign at zero degrees. Whereas like every other planet we know starts at zero and goes to 29. They're also always exactly opposite each other, just in case I didn't make that clear earlier. So the eclipses occur in the sign axis that the nodes are currently moving through. Um, so at the time of this recording, the nodes are in Gemini and Sagittarius, the north node in Gemini and the south node in Sagittarius. That axis, while the nodes are in Gemini and Sagittarius, those are where the eclipses are going to occur. The moon moves through the zodiac in about a month's time. I think it's like 28 days. And in that time, in a lunar cycle, the nodes are going to travel one degree and 30 minutes, which averages to about three minutes per day. So the nodes move through the entire zodiac over the course of about 18 and a half years, um, which is about when you'll have your nodal return is around when you're 18, um, when the nodes return to the position that they were at when you were born. And then the nodes travel through the signs that they're currently in. So right now we're in Gemini and Sagittarius for around uh, just under two years, actually. So using this example again, the nodes enter Gemini and Sagittarius in June of 2020. And they're going to enter the next pair of signs, which is Taurus and Scorpio, in January of 2022. A lot of astrologers will say that the regular new and full moons, like just the normal ones, have events that take place over the course of that month. So about every month, calendar month, you'll have a new moon and a full moon. Um, and then they'll say that eclipse themes and events can take place over six months between the time of the first two eclipses to later in the year when the other two eclipses happen on average. There's four a year. But I interpret that a little differently. Um, I have observed that a new moon in a sign, so let's use Taurus as an example, it's going to set off a storyline that completes when the full moon occurs in Taurus later in the year. Not necessarily saying that the themes will play out that entire time period, but you can see culminations of what was started months ago popping up again when that full moon happens. So for me, the first eclipse in a pair of signs, like when the nodes move into a new sign and then that first eclipse happens, this is setting off a storyline that is going to take place over the entire time that the nodes are in those signs, so about two years. And there may be climaxes within the six months, but for me, the overarching story plays out over the entire series of eclipses in those signs. So this is how I've developed my practice and my point of view. Um, and I think initially I based this off of an article that I read a long time ago, years ago, like the beginning of my studies, by I want to say it was the Astro Twins. And if I can find that article, I will link it. Um, they, but I'm pretty sure it was them. They described uh, regular new and full moons as taking place over longer periods of time. Um, corresponding with the sign, like I said before, like the new moon in Taurus and then later the full moon in Taurus and having similar themes. I'm not sure how common that method is, um, but it's the way that I've been interpreting both lunations and eclipses ever since then. Um, so that's just kind of my take and perspective on it. So the 
lunar nodes themselves and like what they represent in astrology and all of that could be a whole podcast in itself. And I am having an episode on the lunar cycle on the docket for next season, which will start in January. Um, but today we're just going to focus on both the lunar nodes and the lunar cycle in the context of eclipses. So solar eclipses, remember these are the new moons, are not visible to the entire Earth at once because the moon is a lot smaller than the Earth. So visually, not the entire Earth is going to be able to see that this is occurring in the sky from their location. So because of the movement of both the Earth and the moon, the shadow of the eclipse is going to stretch over a portion of the Earth while it's happening. Um, and it's widely observed that the locations in which the eclipses are visible indicates an intensity in the significations in that area. Like the Great American Eclipse, I believe, was in 2017, I want to say. That year could be off. But you probably have heard of the Great American Eclipse. Um, and it happened over the United States. And a lot of like political things happened and things like that. Wherever the shadow of the eclipse is for a solar eclipse, where it's visible, is going to indicate an intensity in the significations in that area. Um, using mundane astrology. So mundane astrology is a branch of astrology that represents larger populations and countries and things like that. So it shows how transits and things like that are affecting a collective. So while eclipse shenanigans can occur all over the globe and can even have very personal manifestations in your own life, uh, areas where the eclipse, the, I cannot pronunciate my words, areas where the eclipse is literally visible in the sky can have very literal manifestations of them. And also something could happen there that ends up affecting the world as a whole. And then you have lunar eclipses, remember that's the full moon eclipse, um, and they are visible globally, according to what I was reading, as long as it is nighttime when it goes exact. So if it's night where you are and a lunar eclipse is occurring, according to, I think this was on the Heavenly Spheres where I saw this, um, you should be able to see it in the sky. And like I said before, every calendar year has about four eclipses on average, two solar and two lunar. The two solar eclipses, one is occurring near the north node and the other is going to occur near the south node. Remember, these are new moons, so both the sun and the moon are going to be on one side of the nodes when that happens. And the two lunar eclipses occur when there's a full moon in either sign that the nodes are in. So what I mean by that is eclipse season refers to the two weeks between two eclipses. And this happens again on average twice a year. And this I'll get into a little bit more in that episode on the lunation cycle that I have planned for next year. But in a signs season, a new moon is going to occur in that sign, and then a full moon is going to occur in the sign that opposes it. So right now we're dealing with Gemini and Sagittarius. During Gemini season, there is a new moon in Gemini, and then there's also going to be a full moon in Sagittarius while the sun is in Gemini. And then later during Sagittarius season, there's a new moon in Sagittarius and also a full moon in Gemini while the moon, I mean not the moon, while the sun is in Sagittarius. When eclipses occur, they activate the corresponding houses, the house axis in your natal chart. So these eclipses in Gemini and Sagittarius, for example, will activate the 11th and 5th for Leo risings, just as an example. Um, and I recommend using whole sign houses for transits just because it's easier. But if you find that quadrant houses, like Placidus, for example, work better for you when it comes to transits, then you can definitely use that. Um, and if you use Placidus and you have interceptions in your chart and you know that is, eclipses in your intercepted signs can be very significant. Any transit that you have to 
intercepted planets or signs are going to show opportunities to draw those energies to a more outward expression. I do have a thread on interceptions if you're not familiar or you want to learn more, um, and I'll link that as well, just in case the concept is unfamiliar to you or you need a refresher. The Astrology Podcast has a really good episode about eclipses where people in the audience where they're presenting this episode um, sh uh, share their experiences of the eclipses going through different house axes or axes. Um, and this is a must listen if you want real life examples of how the house axes, axes can be highlighted. I am going to briefly go over some significations in my own episode here. Um, I'm about to do that in a second, but I highly recommend checking out this episode of the Astrology Podcast if you want more info, and I'm going to link that as well. So eclipses in the first and the seventh can have themes of individuality versus relationships or other collaborative efforts. The second and the eighth can have themes of your own resources versus the resources of others. So what is valuable to you may change due to a figurative or literal death of something. And again, this doesn't have to mean that you experience like an actual death in your life. For some people that definitely does happen, but you shouldn't, you know, worry about that happening if you have eclipses in your eighth house. Um, it's not something that you should be uh, like getting very uh, scared over because um, it's not always literal like that. In the third and the ninth houses you can see themes of education or expanding beyond your immediate experience because third house is like your neighborhood and the ninth is like abroad and expanding outward. In the fourth and the tenth you can see themes of your outer life like career and accomplishments with the tenth house versus your inner life with the fourth so your home, people you live with, your lineage, family, things like that. In the eleventh and the fifth there can be themes of the people you're surrounding yourself with and your creative pursuits and hobbies and in the 6th and the 12th um, we can have themes of health here uh, with mental mental health being a 12th house topic a lot of astrologers I see draw on that comparison with the 12th house being about mental health and then uh, physical health in the 6th house as well there can also be themes of like the mundane with the 6th house versus all the things that are difficult to understand or difficult to deal with the complexity um, and confusion and isolation of the 12th house. Uh, the 6th house can also be like our obligations as well. So think about how the obscuring of light would be seen to the ancients observing them. What significance would you designate to eclipses when you're thinking about them in that context? In the book on the heavenly spheres, um, highly recommend, it should be a foundational book for everybody, um, they refer to eclipses as, quote, disturbing phenomena of celestial order. And the lunar nodes, especially in Vedic astrology, are basically seen as two extremes. You have the head of the dragon and the tail of the dragon. And then again, in On the Heavenly Spheres, um, which is has like a traditional foundation, um, a Western traditional foundation, I should say, they refer to the north node as being more benefic, related to abundance and fertility and amplifying any planets it's near, and that amplification can be like too much of a good thing as well. And then the south node is considered malefic and is, quote, connected to barrenness. So events around the eclipses can be very extreme and unpredictable because the nodes are directly involved here. The sun and the moon are the luminaries. They're the lights. They are the life bringers to a chart. So having that light cut off was traditionally seen as a sign of disaster. And eclipses don't always have to be catastrophic or malefic events. But like I said, they can be unpredictable, they can be very hard to ignore. They're also associated with sudden changes and major reversals, which sounds a lot like, 
Uranus transits. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see uh, what these transits are going to look like or uh, what these eclipses are going to look like in Taurus and Scorpio because I was doing some digging and there is an eclipse that happens really close to Uranus on the North Node, I believe. Um, so that'll be really interesting. And I think it's also squaring Saturn and Aquarius. So that should be really interesting. It's in 2022. So I guess prepare yourself for that. Um, but according to On the Heavenly Spheres, lunar eclipses are associated with events that take place over a shorter period of time, but things can happen more rapid rapidly. And solar eclipses have more noticeable changes for longer periods of time. And since this is the occultish podcast and not just an astrology podcast we can talk about eclipse magic as well and why you shouldn't just use them for anything um i will be linking the full article from sphere and sundry but i'm gonna go over the highlights and just some of my own thoughts first things first generally eclipses were seen as a bad omen back in the day and I can't speak for every single culture, but unless you know about the practices of your own culture and how and how they approach eclipses, I wouldn't experiment or do the typical new moon and full moon rituals that you would do if an eclipse wasn't involved. And Caitlin Kopic, the founder, owner, genius behind Sphere and Sundry, uh, says in the article, this is a quote, the only thing you want to use eclipses for is destroying, cursing, concealing, unconcealing, or banishing. But I want to add, you should know what you're doing and take the proper precautions. Because if you have never cursed anything before, if you've never done anything banishing or concealing or any of those things, uh, uncrossing you could do as well, then I wouldn't recommend doing it for the first time on an eclipse because that's a lot of powerful energy that you might not know how to harness and protect yourself from properly. But another good thing to do on eclipses is remediation for the nodes and there are articles on that as well from Sphere and Sundry um, which I'm going to link also. Eclipses can give you a lot of physical symptoms as well as mentioned in this article. Um, for me personally I always get really nauseous during eclipse season. Uh, and also leading up to it. So laying low is honestly the best way to utilize this energy, aside from remediation, if you want to do that. But any talismans, any spells, any rituals, all those things can have the reverse effect of what you're trying to do. And as Copic says, uh, moon, moons, uh, like new moons and full moons, waxing, waning, stuff like that, they're usually used for uh, manifesting, cultivating abundance, uh, releasing as well. Um, but when that light is being obstructed, like the whole reason why you can do these things is because of the power of the sun and the moon. But when that light is being obstructed, it's taking some of that power away. It's concealing it. It's uh, uh, distorting it as well. You will see a lot of people, um, a lot of mainstream like witches and stuff like that, uh, say that eclipses are supercharged, new moons are supercharged, full moons. This could not be further from the truth, as I've already explained. Um, so that means keep your crystals in the damn house, um, unless, again, your cult your specific culture is saying something different and you have been taught things differently, then these general precautions sh should be something that you uh, really take to heart 
and uh, utilize in your practice so that you can protect yourself. Or again, if you are going to do one of the things that Copic suggests, um, then you need to be experienced uh, so that you can do them safely. Because if you are cursing or banishing or doing any of that, you should know how to protect yourself already. Um, so yeah, like I said, probably not the first time. Not, this is not baby's first curse uh, energy for sure. So stay safe, ride the wave. Uh, the world is going to keep on spinning. And yeah, that is our show for today. Um, I do have one more episode coming out this season. It'll probably be out in sometime in December, hopefully the beginning of December. And then a new season is going to premiere in January. In the meantime, between seasons, I will be uh, obviously prepping for that season, but I'm also going to be playing catch up with the link dumps that I have not been doing lately and also the YouTube uploads as well. Um, so thank you so much for your patience in that regard. If you don't follow me on Twitter, this last quarter of the year has been super rough, but 2020 has been rough for all of us. We're almost out of the woods. Um, we're going to be getting some relief soon. Uh, so yeah, thank you so much for listening. Uh, please rate wherever you can. Tell a friend. Like I said, my name is Cheyenne, and this is the Occultish Podcast. It's Classrology Production. You can hit me up on Twitter, at Classrology with an underscore, and I'll see you next time. Bye.